There's a customer that I worked with a couple of years ago. They're a, a large global retailer trying to address this age-old problem of trade areas and, and demand forecasting. And they had some fairly outdated ad hoc methodologies that they were using. And when we went to demo the final results of the analysis to their executives, they immediately identified some of the key decisions they had made in recent years that could have been better with the insight that we gained from the analysis. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Our podcast. You just heard Wendy Keyes, Senior Data Scientist for the Spatial Data Science and Big Data Analytics team at Esri, give an example of a business using today's explosion in spatial data to get an edge. Esri's David Gadsden investigates how businesses and governments are seeing how insights from data become even sharper and more useful within the crucial context of location. Hello, Dr. Wendy Keyes, and welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. I saw an article recently where you were introduced as a data scientist with a doctorate in behavioral economics. Can you tell us how you gravitated towards this discipline and help define this combination of of specialties for us? So behavioral economics combines classical economics with psychology and with neuroscience so that we can better understand the psychology and the physiology of economic decision-making. When I was a professor, I started out every semester with a very simple definition of economics. And that simple definition was what people do with stuff. Now, behavioral economics adds another component to that, and it seeks to understand why. Why do people do what they do with stuff? Now, what led me down this path, growing up, I was always really interested in math and numbers just came naturally to me. But I was interested in social impact and interested in really understanding people. During my undergraduate, I discovered economics as a discipline. And it's like the clouds opened up and the angels sang. And uh, this was finally a way that I could apply the mathematics skills that I had to real world problems that would have real world impact. This is a really powerful combination of disciplines, statistics, economics, uh, psychology, how, how have you applied geographic thinking and the role of geography in the, in the body of your work? Looking back, it's what was always missing in the kinds of analyses that we would do. In fact, during my dissertation phase, when I was doing my research, the, the spatial training we got or the extent of the spatial analysis we had was using what's called a dummy variable for geographic variables such as just having a categorical or dummy variable for what state someone lived in. And I remember thinking, gosh, it would be really cool if there was a way we could look at at how these interacted with one another or how they were similar to one another rather than treating each geography separately. And so in exploring different ways to use my skill sets, I came across data science and, um, and, and found that would be a natural fit for the kinds of things that I wanted to apply my skills toward and also would would utilize um, and just be really fascinating. So in a way, I was always thinking spatially. I just didn't have the tools until I um, until I came into my current role to really leverage that thinking and um, and pursue the the limits of that thinking and incorporate those spatial concepts into my analysis. How are you applying it? What types of things do you work on projects, challenges, etc.? Well, I get to work on a variety of projects, and I, I sometimes comment that the you know the types of projects that come to uh, to myself and others on my team 
are those that are really complex. They're, they generally require out of the box thinking, um, you know, coming up with new approaches or uh, just new problems that, that we encounter. Uh, so I often kind of joke that just about every project I have is like a new dissertation project where we're exploring new ways to do things and uh, whether that's new solutions to old problems or coming up with solutions to new problems. A customer uh, that I worked with a couple of years ago, they're a, a large global retailer, and they were facing or trying to address this age-old problem of trade areas and, and demand forecasting. And they had some fairly outdated ad hoc um, methodologies that they were using, and they knew they needed something different. They wanted a more empirical and spatially driven approach. And they were excited and, and really engaged throughout the project. And when we went to demo the final results of the analysis to their executives, they commented that, wow, this is groundbreaking. And they immediately identified some of the key decisions they had made in recent years that could have been better with the insight that we gained from the analysis, such as right-sizing stores from the beginning, relocating stores that, that were underperforming to, um, to different areas. And during the follow-up consultations, the customer sponsors shared that the feedback they got from their store managers was really positive. And they said, this is finally, you know, finally I, I um, the reports you're giving me are who I actually see in my store. Because one of the complaints they had gotten before was that the demographic profiles you're giving me is not who I actually see in my store. And they knew that there was this disconnect between their methodology and their observation. And so this helped to, to give them better alignment between who they see in their store and how we're developing or how we're deriving those trade areas and representing them. A decade ago now, many of your colleagues in the professional services uh, division were involved in a major global health initiative to uh, help eradicate polio in Nigeria. And part of that project involved mapping every household and, and urban area in the country as quickly as possible to advise in this, in this project. And at that time, it entailed really hundreds of people working in these editing procedures to review the imagery and, and collect geographic information for every cluster of homes and, and built-up area. I imagine you would approach that entirely differently today. Could you help us kind of understand what types of tools are available and how those tools have, have evolved? Yes, yeah, so the, the tools involved with computer vision and the ways to analyze imagery have really developed quite rapidly over the last decade. And so what used to require humans to sit and scour the imagery, which you, know, you might need a new, a new uh, eyeglass prescription by the end of it, uh, we can now train computers to um, to, to do that. And the computers don't get tired the way humans do. And the computers can often see things and see patterns that humans can't. And so we can automate a lot of that and free up our time to do the things that, that really require that human insight and that human understanding and applying context and subject matter expertise to the results rather than spending the mundane time trying to obtain those results. Yeah, this was, was quite a large-scale project. And now with the computing powers that we have with cloud computing and distributed and parallel processing, this has really increased our capabilities to do analytics at scale. And so we can take that big data and we can aggregate it and we can look at larger broad patterns rather than having to 
figure out what makes sense to batch these up into either small geographies or um, or, or just how to slice and dice that that data to make it more manageable for for more manual ways of, of processing, we can now do these things at scale and just really increase and advance the capabilities of what we can do. I think a lot of us from the outside looking in have seen a lot of emphasis on AI being applied to interpreting things in photographs. And my question is how other spatial data is leveraged with these GeoAI approaches to derive insights. Like what else can be unlocked with these new tools? One of the areas that I've really been exploring these last couple of years is with human movement data. And that human movement data has really unlocked a lot of new insights and new approaches that we can take to some really old problems that have existed in a number of fields. And so we can push the limits of what we can understand about, about how people live their lives, where they go, what paths they follow, what kinds of patterns and insights and anomalies can we find in that? And what does that mean for, um, for decision-making? What does that mean for policy-making? So it's really exciting the kinds of things that we can do. And yes, GeoAI is it's much more than finding cats and dogs in, um, in images. So I would imagine in migration or, or movement data, you're dealing with very large data sets. So, you know, big data has been a, a major sort of concept that's been emerging over the last few years. How does GeoAI help unlock big data? And are there any examples that come to mind? You know, the, the kinds of problems that we're addressing with, with this movement data require large volumes of, of that data. Uh, a project that I worked on this last, this last year had trillions of records of data. And that's just something you, you just simply can't do on most local machines. And so the power of large computing, big scale computing, so you know, things like, um, like parallel processing and, um, and cloud computing, that has really unlocked um, and really expanded the limits of what we can do. Now, the way that GeoAI has helped to, um, to unlock or to open up the kinds of things that we can do with this data um, you know, movement data or mobile data, it's, you know, when, when you think about the word movement or mobile, it tells us about, um, about location. It's, it's um, you know, the, the science of where or spatial co concepts are inherent in that. And with GeoAI, we're able to apply these concepts, these, these concepts of, of proximity, these concepts of the paths that people take, the order, you know, the sequence in which they do things, the not just the spatial proximity, but the temporal, the, the time component of when they do these things. And it helps us to really understand um, and, and gain more insight into how people are going about their lives, how they're going about, um, about their days, where they're spending their time. And that's really powerful and really valuable when um, you know, from, from a business perspective to really understand your customers and to understand your potential customers and to meet them where they're at. Um, it, it just, it really opens up a whole new world of possibilities when it comes to analytics and when it comes to decision-making and the ability to be better stewards of the limited resources that we have. I'd like to go back to your, uh, your studies in psychology and, and, and behavior. It's interesting to me that there might be a, a parallel between neural networks in the human mind that support decision-making and the role of, of 
related networks in AI. Have, have you seen any, it, did your studies in, in psychology and, and behavior advise some of your modeling in this computing environment? Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, you know, one of the um, one of the use cases or one of the methodologies that I use is to take an old problem, this this trade area analysis, and this is a common problem in retail and commercial. This site selection or this location planning problem, this question of where do we plant our next store. And I think many people intuitively have known for a long time that we need to think about that problem from the customer's perspective. But until recently, with things like human movement data and the ability to do things at scale, it was really difficult to try to model that or approach that from a customer-centric uh, point of view. And with my background and you know, just the way that my brain naturally thinks, partly because of my training, but also just because it's interesting to me, is to, um, is to really leverage the tools and the data that are available to look at things in a new way. And so by, uh, you know, the, the behavioral economics background, the psychology of decision-making, it really influences my approach, um, not just in the, the types of data that I use, but also the way that I look at problems. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for what is that behavioral, what is that motivation behind some, how someone is making that decision? And so we don't just, you know, treat the, the, the customer like they're robots who are following some kind of of program, instead, we're trying to understand what drives that decision-making. And so it influences the variables that I might include. It influ influences the type of model that I might use for various problems. It influences how we would interpret. It influences the, the entire approach to understand what drives the decision-making, but also understanding the why behind it. Because if we're going to respond to what we observe, we need to understand why if we're going to try to influence some of that behavior in one direction or another. Where is this all headed? What's, what's coming next in, in this field and in your body of work? It's hard to say where it's going to go because there's still so much unknown. Uh, but I think the future is being able to uncover things that we didn't know before. There's a lot of sensors that are collecting a lot of information. And so I think, you know, both with the, with the big data, being able to process volumes of data at scale, but also better understandings of how things are linked together. So increasing the number of connections and the types of connections that we can make. I, I, I think we're just going to be able to advance and, and get a deeper and better understanding of the complexities in our world and the complexities of these relationships between things and between people. And so I think we're entering a, a, an era of new discoveries and, um, and, and exciting discoveries and just increasing the possibilities of the things that we can do and how we can do them. Wendy, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dave. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Our podcast. And thanks to Wendy Keyes for explaining how spatial thinking and analytics help businesses and governments make better decisions. If you like this episode, please take a moment to share it with a colleague. To learn more about how location intelligence enables digital transformation and drives growth, visit esri.com forward slash location intelligence.